Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Been a minute, huh? It sure has. Back at it, though. Better than ever. Back in business. I just have a sense this episode is going to be the best ever. Mm -hmm. I kind of feel that, too. Mm -hmm. Good. Good. Well, I can lead us us off um, with something I've been thinking about, if you guys are interested. I love your thoughts. I am interested. A penny for them. Oh, one penny. Um, so I watched the movie uh, Devotion, and it has, I think the guy's name is Glenn Powell, who he was in the new Top Gun Maverick movie as well. Apparently, he, he's an actor that specializes in being a fighter pilot acting, which is pretty cool, all in all. And it's, I think it's about the, I think the Korean War... Um, aviators it's a cool story it's and it's a real it's a true story i don't know their names um but the two main characters are the guy who was in maverick and then um another guy who was an african-american aviator which is very rare like at the at the time in in the military and so like their friendship the dynamics and everything but the scene that i had a pretty powerful effective movement with was when um his name's Jesse in the movie, and he his plane they're on some type of mission in the war, and his plane gets hit, and so he like knows he's burning oil, so he knows he's going to crash, <clears throat> and so they they find him a spot kind of like in these woods they're flying over in order to crash land because he you know they need to try and go and get him if if they can, and so he it's pretty rough landing, and they're like circling overhead. Um, and so they see him go down, they see the plane, all of that, and they can see him, but he's not getting out of the plane and he should have, because that would allow them to, I think they call scuttle the plane. And so like blow up the plane to get rid of the technology, all of that, but he just stays there. And so they, they don't know what's wrong. And all these guys, these planes are like circling him. And then, um, his his friends, I think I think the actor is, is the Glenn Powell guy, but he um he decides like he's gonna go down and try to help him. So he literally like kind of crash lands his own plane to get to his his buddy, and then all the other guys go back to the carrier and they'll like get get to them as soon as they as soon as they can, if they can get a helicopter to to go and try and get them before like whoever the enemy was would have come in and taken them. And so, um, anyway, spoiler alert, he does die, <laughs> which is true. And, uh, that's a good gap you just left. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but it's actually, it's a very moving, um, story and it like, it really happened that the guy, Jesse died. Um, but then his, his friend who like crash landed his plane to at least try and save him, he was stuck in the plane. So they weren't able to get him out. Something that had like jammed into his legs really bad and they couldn't do it. He actually died like sitting there and then somebody did a helicopter did find him, but the other guy had to go. And so his body, they had to leave the body there cause they couldn't get it out of the plane. 
And then they sent planes to, to, in a sense, like blow up the two planes for technology. And the movie said that to this day, the guy that tried to save him has like continued to lead the effort to try and bring his remains back to like try and find his remains to bring them back home. And they still haven't found him, but they're still trying to, to find him. So really it was a good movie. Um, kind of a very, very powerful story, but I was just, I was thinking about that and praying with that, that image of all of the guys who didn't crash land their own planes to go down and try and help this guy. Like, they didn't do anything wrong. And like, I think you could even argue that like, not everyone could have done that. Like you needed guys that didn't do that so they could continue to fight the war and everything um, like that. But this one guy like chose to just totally risk his own, his own self, like crash his plane and at least go and try and and save his friend and like be with his friend when he died, even though it it probably should have meant his death. Like the odds of surviving that for him were very, very low. Um, and he's the one, of course, that like got the Medal of Honor and all of that. So I don't know. I've just been praying with that of like, I, yeah, it, it stoked a desire in, in me. Um, like just to, yeah, at least to want to live, um, that way, you know, as hard, as hard as, as it is, it was, yeah, it's a powerful thing to, um, to pray with. But anyway, so just wanted to extend that little story that I thought was pretty cool. If there's anything else, I was kind of thinking of it, like maybe something to talk about around it. I was just thinking of like the old notion that I remember the first time I heard it, um, it was like kind of perplexing to me, but like, it's not morality that makes someone a saint, you know, like, I, I think you could argue that all the other guys in that scene that were there acted morally, like morally upright. Mm. They did their jobs in, in a way. Um, and so, but it's just like the classical understanding of like morality makes us happy, but it doesn't like necessarily make us a, a saint where a saint like is someone that's just attached to Jesus. And that's what like is embodied, I think, in that image of the guy going down, like being with his friends. There's just like an abandonment in in that, which was mm. amazing. So a penny for your thoughts on it. That leads us off. Good lead off. Little bass knock. Just a just as that's a lead off single. Mm-hmm. Dude, I don't know. Come on. You're that's a double. That's a double at least. So lead off, well, let's bunt it over the third and score a run. <laughs> well, I'll, then let me let me lay down a slick bunt here because uh, like it makes me think a lot of the readings yesterday in the gospel. Is that uh, you know Christ that what he shares with his disciples is that yeah the commandments they're not bad and yeah we need to uphold the commandments as a matter of fact he's, he hasn't come to abolish the law but he's come to fulfill it but he calls us to something even more than that and it's like all those pilots who are following protocol like that's the commandment that's the the law of the land and they did that but like you're saying is um that's not enough to save and god desires for us to be saints and so it's not enough just to behave properly like he, he wants a transformation of the heart. And so in love, that guy's able to crash land to save his buddy. 
you know, even if it's unsuccessful, it's good in and of itself. Um, so how he comes to take a good thing, but then deepen it and make it like supernatural. Um, and yeah, so it just made me think of those readings and specifically like the way that Christ talks about that. Um, yeah, this isn't meant for, you know, like you said, everybody wasn't able to crash land. You have to have somebody that is actually still following the protocols and everybody does need to follow the commandments. They're there for a reason. It's good that they exist, but man, the, the supernatural calling there and also like what we desire on our hearts is that someone will, someone will crash land for us or that I will be able to crash land for somebody else. Not because it's in the rules, but because I love them. And so that it calls to a deeper part, I think of our humanity um, that's just inherent within us. But yeah, just a little bunt there. Made me think of the the gospel yesterday. Well, let me just go ahead and back clean up and I'll just knock everybody in. Um. <laughs> <laughs> no more sack fly. Home run time. No, I don't get paid to get singles. <laughs> you're, yeah, you're batting clean up, dude. That's right. Yeah, I hit dingers. <laughs> you're just hitting doubles. You're just hitting <laughs> home runs. Um, <laughs> Uh, well, I think the thing is like, there's, there's a meta level to that law thing because then the Christian demand, is it just that now the new law is you got to crash land, not just follow protocol. Mm. Um, because then it just makes it a legalist religion. That's even harder, which I think the sermon on the Mount right. read through a certain lens can feel like that. <clears throat> It's yeah. like it's way easier to disappoint God than I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't even have the security of the law to fall back on. But that reminds me of something actually Barron said to us uh, about the narrow gate reading. Uh, he's like, you don't have to be the son of God to recognize that most souls don't <laughs> become saints, you know, that uh, it's easier to go down the road of perdition than it is the road of holiness. Um, so in a way, what Jesus is saying is that strive to enter the narrow gate um, is, is just like kind of a fact of life, um, not a prescription that like, oh, God's decided that it's this way because he wants only a few souls to be saved. Um, what's revolutionary about Jesus is not that he comes and gives us like a harder law or is a really good moral example, but that he accomplishes it for us and he crash lands to get us, you know, and that's, um, that's what allows us to become saints. And so I, yeah, I, I think you're right. And I had a very similar thought and I'm trying to rack my brain of what made me think of it, Rob, to the, what makes a saint is not, moral virtue, but union with God, mm-hmm. that you can be a weak person. Um, but if you are totally attached to God, then you are capable of heaven. Like you're, you're worthy of the kingdom of heaven, but even the morally virtuous, if they attain all this virtue by themselves, they don't really recognize their need for God, which is the fundamental truth of 
of everything is that God is period. Like his, his existence is absolute and we participate in his existence and you become who you are and who you're meant to be in the measure that you receive your being from him. Mm. Um, and so that's why I think that all this talk, like in Galatians, which has been the office of readings, like the mm -hmm. law cannot save you. Um, and if you're going to go get circumcised, then you got to do everything else too, you know? So good luck with that. Uh, but you've been set free as children of God. Um, thing I've been praying with since IPF was uh, something Father Rafferty talked about with Joseph and and his amazing Technicolor dream coat. Um, <laughs> yes, I thought that I've thought that's what you were going to say. <laughs> Did he mention this to you in your session? His meditation of Jacob and Joseph. Um, I don't remember if he did. He just talked about it. It was a talk on compulsivity, but he, he was talking about the line in Genesis where it just says, and Jacob loved Joseph the best of all his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a magnificent robe. Um, and that's the, that's the whole verse. But he, he kind of unpacked it into a meditation of like when Joseph receives this robe. Um, and, you know, Jacob and... Abraham was like a rich guy. He had all these, I, I always think of them like wandering in the desert, like uh, nomads, but had all these flocks. And, you know, so assume Abraham and Isaac and then Jacob, they, they're pretty well to do. Um, so to give this magnificent robe to Joseph, it's this bestowal of this richness and, and favor. Um, and what Joseph would have known deep in his bones as he's wearing this thing is that he didn't make it. He didn't earn it. Um, that it's a pure gift, um, because his father loves him. And just to receive that from him is all that Jacob wants from him. He doesn't want anything back. Um, and it made me think of the prodigal son story because there's a robe in that, um, when he embraces him and kisses him, the first thing he does is he, tells him to put the finest robe on him and just the, I mean, obviously as a priest, you put on these vestments and stuff that are kind of finer, even the last one, the yoke of charity, the chasuble. Um, there's just this being clothed by God in the richness and our, of our dignity and who he's made us to be and who he sees us as all the time, even if we don't see it. Um, that then, I don't know, we're able to live differently because we're aware of that, of that reality of who God is and right. that he's pouring himself out constantly <clears throat> for us. Mm. And that's the last thing I'll say, and this will get the last of the runners in, including myself. Um, <laughs> we were at lunch and we were talking about this Jacob and Joseph thing. And, and it was around, I don't remember how it connected in Rafferty's talk, but we were talking about compulsivity and helping people in direction who have like especially addictive uh, stuff like pornography, masturbation. Um, and th somebody asked, you know, what would it be? What would it be uh, Joseph's experience of that receiving that robe if he was addicted to pornography? Um, 
and Rafferty's answer was interesting. He said it would all depend on whether or not Jacob knew, you know, whether Joseph had actually disclosed this or if this is some hidden secret that he has that he's like wearing this robe of, of Jacob's love for him. But inside he knows he's kind of a shameful pervert who doesn't deserve it. And if my father really knew me, but if he did, did know and, and Jacob bestowed this dignity on him anyway, that would that would change the experience. So just a, a question of relating which I don't know that I understand the full meaning of the question or that answer, but um, we were talking about the guy who asked the question I sat with at lunch and somebody was asking him about the question. And he said what, what he meant by the question was that like, if Joseph gets the coat, whether or not he is a sinner, then what will be the motivation not to sin? And to that question, hang on, say that again, meaning if, jo- if Jacob just gives him this robe, whether or not Joseph is a good guy or not, whether Joseph has a secret double life or, or mm-hmm. whether he's actually a good son, then how will Jacob ever, you know, push him towards the greatness that he sees right. in him? Right. Yeah. Um, and that made me recoil inside. And I just said it to the guy. I was like, well, maybe the lie there is that if there isn't the threat of the withholding of love, then there's nothing that would ever make you advance in holiness. You know, in other yeah. words, the only, the only weapon God has to make us grow is the threat to stop loving us. Uh, the, the threat he will stop loving us if we sin. Sure. Mm. Um, which doesn't answer the question of how do we grow yeah. If God loves us unconditionally, um, but it does say that's not, that can't be the answer. Sure. Yeah. Cause it's almost like, um, it's, it's viewing God's love from a utilitarian perspective that says he only gives this as an incentive to right. behave better. And I think that's what made me think of the thought now that you say that, because what I was thinking was, you're also implicit in that question is the goal here is to stop looking at porn. And so God's love is the thing that whether we get it or don't get it or how he gives it to us, that's for the goal of getting us off of porn and into holiness and chastity and all that stuff. Um, But actually it's reversed that the goal, like purifying our desires and allowing God to, to make us mature men disciplined and able to love chastely is um is because he loves us and we want to be completely transparent to that love yeah yeah it's the rim thing yes it's it's 100 the rim thing if your mission is to stop sinning um and you view your identity and relationship um from from the light of am i sinning or not if so this is who i am and if that's true then this is how i relate to god it's backwards then you do have to quit sinning in order to have the proper identity than in order to relate to God. But if it's rim instead of mer, then it's <laughs> I am. And it's like this, it's the same thing. Then I am with God and that's who I am. And now from that place, I know what to do. Um, but it's super easy in the spiritual life, especially when you see people, man, it's, it's really hard. I find that I fall into that when I preach, that I almost am preaching the spiritual life as an incentive towards 
the good life. And yeah. and it is it, the the thing is it's not untrue. Of course. But it's it's not the it's not the truest thing about God and his relationship of love to us. Uh, so I, I bump up against that uh, a lot. And yeah, even like, well, the experiences that I've had where somebody, not because the law demands it, but because in freedom, they are both in relationship with God and in relationship with me uh, in love they choose to live the ideal of the spiritual life, mm. uh, which is they like crash their plane for me to save me. Um, it's a different experience. They're not doing it because they had to, mm-hmm. like they're doing it because they love me and they're in relationship with love with, with God. Yeah. Like if that guy had crashed his plane as a ploy to get the medal of honor, nobody would think he's a legit yeah. hero. If he just done it to like, get the reward don't you think is because he did it out of love oh yeah he thought he was gonna die yeah it was out of love man yeah which that's not a thing that you can (laughs) i think that that's what's so crazy making about and rim just for the listeners relationship identity mission in that order mer mission identity relationship i'm about to use another ipf institute for peace information the thing that me and Robert doing spiritual director training and in that program, like why I think it's so the spiritual direction model can be kind of difficult. It was difficult for me to grasp is because the goal is not like detachment from earthly things or like advancement in the spiritual life or any sort of like utilitarian motive, even of the highest order, like you're, you know, to become a holier person, a better priest. It's simply to be with God, period. So that if a person comes to you for spiritual direction and what they want is advice or like some kind of discipline and in order to become more spiritually strong or something, um, it it becomes kind of difficult. And I remember as a seminarian, that was what I was looking for. And spiritual directors in IPF would kind of make me feel like I was dumb or I didn't understand how to do what they were asking me to do. But it was because they were just trying to help me be with God. Um. And so the questions are, are sort of like open-ended and about your experience. Like you talk about prayer and then they say, what was that like? And you're just like, I don't know, it was good or peaceful. And like, okay, how is God towards you in that? Or have you talked to God about that? Just literally like that marriage counselor, um, analogy, trying to get you to talk to him and be with him and God's agenda in those. It's like without fail, his agenda, what God wants or what's on his heart is to simply enjoy you, enjoy being with you. Um, it's not, let's work on this pornography problem. Um, okay, so here's the program I want for you. I want you to say 20 Hail Marys before you get out of bed in the morning and then do this and that, and then and then you'll be um, better. It's just to give you robes and stuff. <laughs> it's kind of frustrating. It's so, it's so relational. Um, yeah, and it's, it's frustrating in many ways, but also part part of the frustration is that, um, like, at least in my experience of, it's also the only thing that is like, it, I think this is what we, maybe you were hitting at, Mets, a little bit of like, kind of like, however you say, like the nuance of like the spiritual life 
as kind of this avenue to the good life and all of that, because like, that's the reality is like, if you are in communion with God, then everything is so much better. Yeah. And it's like, you know, that's the cool, I mean, staying with the devotion image of the guy crash landing his plane of like, I mean, I think that speaks so deeply to like innate human desires of who each of us wants to be. Of like, I want to be that guy, you know, but like, that's not exactly, he didn't do that so that we could know his story. Like he did that. So, because he wanted to be with his buddy and it's just this like response man of like that, that place. I mean, and I think you could take it way more local as well. I just, in the conversation, memory came up and this was, this was a few months ago, but there's a, um, veteran priest, uh, lives like 25 minutes from here and just an awesome, holy, like jolly guy. And, um, yeah, it certainly meant a lot to me, like just kind of being around him. He's always been available for confession and just like, just fun. But anyway, a few of us went out to a, a movie, um, a few months ago. And so we grabbed dinner, um, beforehand and he bought dinner and it was, um, you know, it wasn't like the biggest thing in the world, but I, I think I, I said, I said, Oh, thanks. You didn't have to do that. And he just, he just kind of like chuckled and, and laughed and, and he was like, doesn't it make that, doesn't it make it so much better? Hmm. Like, that's just a really like cool line, you know, of, um, you didn't have to do that. And his immediate response was like, doesn't that make it so much better? Hmm. It's like, that's good. That is good. Yeah. And the answer is yes. It actually does. It does make it so much better. Much better. Yeah. But that's, I think that's why it's so hard is that's why all, there are so many things that get in the way of me living like that constantly is that, um, there is a type of purification that has to, that we have to allow God to do within our hearts or else I'm constantly, even if it's the right thing, I'm constantly going to be doing it for the wrong reason. And just to be able to do it because it's good in and of itself. And like I'm in relationship with God, it's not for any gain or for any other reason than this right here, right now is good. And I, that's the reason why I want to share it. Like, man, I have all these other ulterior motives that are so complex and, you know, social reasons, um, you know, being able to look good in front of other people and to be able to wade through all that stuff and actually get to a place where you're like, no, I really don't need to do this and I am going to do it. Makes it so sweet. It makes it, it does, it makes it so much better. Mm. I think my light is dying, guys. Your ring light? Uh Uh-huh. That's okay. Mm. I'm about to be podcasting in a cave. That's fine. In in the darkness. (laughs) I'm thinking of something. uh, Actually, I have this in front of me right now. This this, uh, Cardinal George thing. um, He gave an address on spiritual fatherhood. He was talking about the uh, life-giving love of the sacraments. Yeah, this line I underlined. He's talking about Jesus. He can be anywhere he wants to be, and he wants to be with us. I mean, it's so simple as I'm almost to sound cliche, but 
uh, I don't know. It, I don't know if this is true. I'm just going to say it, but it seems to me like the, the deepest desire for both us and God is intimacy, you know, and we can utilitarianize intimacy because like the more you pray and spend time with God, the more you long for spiritual things and you tend to detach yourself from lower base things and you become a more noble person. And that's what you're talking about. Like the spiritual life as a means to the good life. But, um, more and more, it just seems to me like what God's desire is for us is to be with us, period. When you read the scriptures, celebrate the liturgy year in and year out, the mysteries that we celebrate, Christmas, Easter, um, Pentecost, like it's all so that God can be with us intimately and that we can know him. And he chooses the weak to shame the strong. You don't have to be that smart. In fact, intelligence is often an obstacle to getting this, um, even moral righteousness, because pride is the worst of all sins. Like it alienates us from God. Um, it's the prostitutes and the tax collectors who have an easier time in getting into the kingdom of heaven because they know they need help. Um, yeah, I don't know what you guys think of that, but just the, the intimacy is the highest value to God. It seems to me because it's who he is in his inner being, father, son, and Holy spirit. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, 100%. So I, I experienced some frustration at work here on post with the chaplain corps. Um, they are trying to figure out what to do with us <clears throat> as chaplains, um, specifically because the army is constantly looking for metrics of how to gauge how valuable, how much of an asset you are to the broader scheme of, of the yeah. army. To America? To America, <clears throat> to our lethality, to protecting our people and fighting. Uh, Would you say that you contribute to the lethality of America? Yeah. Yeah, actually. Sort of. <laughs> yeah. Not even sort of. I would. Yeah. Indirectly. Um, but what they have been pushing us to do, it made me think of a talk that you gave a while back, Connor, is to be semi-pro therapists. <laughs> Gosh, I hate it. I, I Therapy <laughs> yeah. has a place for 100%. Absolutely. But I'm not a therapist, nor do I want to be a therapist, nor do I have any skills to be a therapist, nor do I think the spiritual life is therapy. And they are constantly pushing us into this like blurred because it's there are there are overlapping circles between <clears throat> like what a therapist does and what a spiritual director will do, which is primarily just to be with somebody to walk with them, have a relationship that they can trust. Um, but the like techniques or whatever you want to say it, that we go about working with an individual, which <laughs> even the language, they'll say like, how many clients did you see today? I'm like, I'm not saying that. <laughs> I am not saying those words. Um, and so <clears throat> it's kind of viewed that way is that I think in the secular mind, the chaplain slash priest is a type of, I mean, what do we talk about? Moralistic therapeutic deism. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a, it's, it's a functionary in that. Yeah. It's another, uh, another mechanism, another discipline that allows for people to 
um, you know, live the type of life that they want to live. Like it's kind of that broadly skewed in in the military because it's pluralistic. So there's all these different religions, which means Gosh, these- that ma- mindset can corrode your priesthood. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I constantly, um, so like, <clears throat> it's a lot of fun. Cause I think a lot of the soldiers that come and meet with me are expecting a type of like therapy session. I'm like really clear, like not a therapist. I can refer you to one, but like, who are you? Tell me what's your name? Like, how, how's your day going? Tell me about your family. And it's basically just like, I want to enter into relationship with you um, so that I can begin to see your heart so that I can have some intimacy with you. And then hopefully from the place of intimacy, which is a, a combination of like trust and, and hopefully love, we can start to um, transmit God's love to you. Not directly, but through hopefully through me. So I'm going to stay with God. And then if you... If I can stay with you, you know, that's that's where the the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will be as well. And I think that's actually what you desire. And uh it's been it's been a lot of fun because they don't expect it. And I think it's actually been really fruitful for both them and for me. Uh one, because it kind of feels like an act of rebellion. I'm like, yeah, ah, screw these guys, man. I'm not gonna be a therapist. I'm mm-hmm. just gonna be a priest and just love on these people as a priest and then let the Lord do what he will. Which is ultimately, <clears throat> it's very uh, freeing because then you're not trying to shape the outcome in a certain direction, but you're just saying, I want to be with God and I, I trust him so that he's going to make it happen, which is also like deeply theologically accurate. God creates. And so I'm just going to stay with the creator. And then in this relationship, allow him to create and lead where he wills instead of me trying to do that thing. Um, yeah. So it, it, I have been experiencing that semi-pro uh, therapy counselor thing. I would be a bad counselor, dude. Just no doubt. Bummer. That's okay. They don't know what to do with us. And mm-hmm. so it's instead of allowing it for to be a top-down development of how to use us is... Like, let's have a grassroots thing. This is the best way to use a chaplain. And so I'm going to live how I think God is asking me to mm. and then let it kind of speak for itself. Mm. Do you have a sense of, um, this is just my, I guess, if I were to go be live on a base and be part of an airborne unit or something like that, how I would maybe think of myself as a priest. Uh, but like just the presence of Jesus on base or like, out in the field or whatever in the particular way. I mean, all of us have the presence of Jesus in us through baptism, but in a particular way, the priest is conformed to him as the shepherd, as the crucified one, you know, like the witness of your life, even before your interactions with people, just you being with them, that, that Cardinal George thing, he can be anywhere he wants to be. And he wants to be with us. Um, the fact that you're celibate, the fact that you're, celebrate the sacraments that you pray every day and yet you are in the army with them by their side in the Shiza is like the value of your life. Yeah. I don't know if I've talked to you guys about this before, but the North American martyrs helped me to understand a bit of what this it's, they call it a, a call within a call. It's like you're called to the priesthood, but then you're called to the military and the priesthood. Um, 
that it's it's pretty unique, especially in what uh, practically what it looks like I do, um, especially from a parish priest. But having the perspective that I'm a missionary has been very, very fruitful and very, very helpful because it it did a couple of things for me. It allowed for a continuity of mission within the life of the church, uh, that this was not abnormal. This is not something that we've never done before, but that since the founding of the church, Christians have gone out and lived with people, learned their language, been in the Shiza with them, and little by little through their love, people have begun to encounter Jesus Christ. And the way that I see it, the way that I experience kind of my day to day is that's exactly what I do. It doesn't look like the traditional uh, parochial priestly life, but I'm coming in and learning their calendars and learning their language. And then I'm going out into the field and I'm living with them and I'm putting up tents with them and they just think I'm just a dude. But then little by little, there's a revelation of who I am uh, well after relationship has been established. And, uh, and I kind of thought, wow, what am I doing I, you know, I celebrate the sacraments every day, sometimes publicly. Um, you know, I hear a lot of confessions. It's great. But my people, they don't know who I am. They're like, am I wasting time? Am I just, what What value is it that I know how to read a map and can direct myself with a compass at night and I can use night vision goggles and all this like cool stuff, but I'm a priest. Like what value is that? And looking at it from the lens of a missionary that, yeah, I guess that Benedict line. He can be anywhere he wants to be, but he chooses to be with us. That's where he wants to be. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I guess that's kind of how I how I want to view my priesthood, which I think is the that's the missionary call, right there. Well, do you think your um, your experience as a soldier with chaplains? I mean, you were inspired to be a priest when you were doing army stuff, right? Right. That's right. Do you have a sense of like discipleship too? Just like the certain people that gravitate to you and that within their experience, their own call within a call to be a Christian soldier? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, It's a little bit more difficult to point to uh, because a lot of our soldiers do the privatized religion kind of a thing. Mm. And so it's less um, unified with the people um, in my unit. And so it, it can sometimes be tricky because it, it looks and feels like I'm not doing very much and that I know, well, it's just, it's a lie and that it's the wrong thing to look at. It's not the right metric or the right gauge, the way to look at my priesthood. Um, and so it, sometimes it doesn't look like much, but I, I think when I look at the people that I interact with day to day and who are attracted to myself, um, that it definitely reminds me of my own experience of being attracted to, yeah, that call within a call back when I, you know, encountered Christ, uh, through a priest out in the field, celebrating mass for us, you know, while we were all stinky and didn't have anything else out. Like Jesus was out there with us Mm -hmm. and that was very attractive. Yeah. But I'm trying to think. So like, well, Rob, maybe I'll ask you specifically, are there any examples that you could think of or like experiences that you have found that, uh, whether it, it's something you've experienced or read about, 
where you've seen somebody kind of crash that plane for out of love for somebody else, either for mm-hmm. you or someone in your family? Like, does that resonate at all anywhere with you? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Big time. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. One is coming. One is coming to mind. I don't know if I want to share it on the cast sure, or not. Yeah. Um, yeah. It certainly resonates. I will. I mean, it's a good question for any. Like, you guys got one that comes to mind? Because I'll, I'll keep, yeah, maybe racking my brain there. Because that's a good question. You, I mean, to me, you, it's just Jesus Christ. Like, the, yeah. Uh, it's hard to imagine a human being. I have close friends who I really trust. But it's the reason I'm a priest today or a Christian at all is because I felt that was what God did for me um, through confession, through just, yeah, that um, it would have been so easy, I think, to just leave, just abandon me and leave me to my own devices, you know, like when when you honestly look at your life, um, we have all crash landed and I can certainly see how I did and would have continued to, but, um, he continues to crash land to get me, you know, and it's often in those disasters, um, both of my own doing or just of like life and the inability to, to manage it myself, that those are the redemptive moments when I feel least abandoned because, I have to completely rely on grace and ask for his help and he, he provides it. And yeah, just the fact that, I mean, all of us in our own ways, in our offline friendship have experienced God doing that for us and, and certainly through people and stuff like that. But even that I feel like is just an expression of God's love, like that, that we have people that we can trust and, um, believe really love us right and don't have any ulterior motive that's what's so amazing about god's love is like it's not like any love you've ever experienced it has no selfish need it's simply gift yeah and that's a cool way to um Maybe to try to just like flush that that question out as as well because it is that that's the true way to look at it. It's just it's all an extension or an expression or um, yeah, just an echo of like the love that God is. Um, but in that way, man, yeah, actually, lots of examples. I thought of the other day, like was it last February? Was it about this time last year that you guys came came over for a few days? And, yeah. and hung. Yeah, because my f- flip phone was still fresh. I think I'm a, a year anniversary of getting a flip phone. Wow, that's amazing. Um, but I remember there was like some stressful stuff going on, and that like just an aspect of you know kind of the the crash landing of just like life. Meaning it was just like super stressful with a couple things happening, and like overwhelming of trying to manage and like just getting to hang with you guys for a few days, it was like, wow, that was the antidote, actually. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like doing anything perfectly or figuring anything out. It was like friendship 
and laughter, which was so much better. Um, but like those stories are abundant, man. Right. Yeah. Just little things like that, especially to look back and you're like, oh, crap, that was like that was actually like from the higher view a year later, like that was God saving me. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and like what you said, Connor, and reiterated, Rob, is exactly true. Like <clears throat> that type of love is just not possible without the reality of God's love, which is fully expressed in Jesus Christ. And so then every, every other example of that is it is just a, essentially a manifestation of God's love. But I think those things are also like they're very real because it's only possible through Christ when we do encounter it, even if it's a lesser version of it, it's like a coming close of God to us through mm -hmm. other people. And so it's like an incarnate, incarnate tangible experience of this broader idea, but it's made personal and particular to you, like through the people around you. And <clears throat> similarly to you, Rob, when I was uh, my first assignment, man, it was just like, I went through some tough times, 100%. And I remember once I shared that with like my mom and my dad and uh, a couple of buddies, my, my siblings as well. Like, guys, we are mayday, mayday. <laughs> <laughs> we are going down. <laughs> nosedive, nosedive occurring. Um they took that nosedive and like within two, within two days, I mean, I mean, in the middle of the work week, stopping everything and they're like, oh, Mike needs somebody out there with him. And they would just come out there and hang out and we just hang out on, on our roof. And mm. it's, it's a miniature version of that, the, you know, order of magnitude, greater love that Christ has for us. But it's similar. It, it saved me. It absolutely saved me. Um, mom and dad and my friends and my siblings that it wasn't sort of like they saved me. It was like, that's Christ saving me through them yeah. doing the nosedive. That's a, that's real. Right. <laughs> the way that God saves us is real. It's not abstract. Yeah. It's dope stuff guys. <clears throat> well, well hey, I have uh, there are these little, little interludes. Um, there's one called ballpark. I've never done this while we're actually recording. I think it's little music things, but we've been doing such baseball stuff. I kind of want to. You guys hear that? Yeah. Uh, awesome. I can't hear it. I hope the listeners can hear it or else we're just going to sound crazy. <laughs> oh, it sounds great, dude. <laughs> well, this has been super real. All right, fellas. All right, hombres. I'm basically in the dark already. So Yeah, and you froze too, so I'm worried that it's going <laughs> to. I know, dude. We're going to ah! this all, all this gold. All right. Well, let's like. All right. Let's follow Free Dogs North on Instagram. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. And here, down.
Spanky dogs. Spanky dogs. Good girl.